Let's welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, everybody. I know we're picking up from last week, but I looked at my notes and I'm like, man, I, I really got to start almost from the beginning here. Um, did somebody say, oh, no? All right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you better repent for that one. So we're talking about living a life with no limitations, getting rid of the limitations. And obviously, we must understand that limitations are going to be specific to each individual. What might be a limitation for you might not be a limitation for somebody else and vice versa. So it comes down to, to this, and, and, and once I jump in here, we got to do this fast because uh, I don't want this to become a three-part message, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Understand this. This is something that I've been very much aware of through these past few weeks. What is it about us as human beings, especially as Christians, that we don't know ourselves? And I don't know if it's a result of spending so much time on social media, because on social media you can be whoever you want to be, that we forget sometimes to disconnect from that mindset. And this is what happens. We don't know ourselves. We know, some of us know celebrities on television better than we know our own lives. And when we don't know ourselves, the enemy sneaks up on us and will play mind games with you. And you're left trying to figure out, okay, uh, I remember many, many years ago becoming friends with a gentleman who was a Christian counselor, brilliant guy from down in South Jersey. He does not practice anymore. He's now teaching in uh, universities. And he, you know, as a young pastor, I would pick his brain. And he would say, Joe, listen, whenever, whenever somebody uh, has a situation that should require this much of a reaction, and they get this much of a reaction, that's a trigger. That's a red flag. And so sometimes we don't even know ourselves. Hi, Jen. Just saw you there. We don't even realize ourselves why. Why are we reacting the way we're reacting to something? And that could be a, a, that could be a, a big limitation on our lives. Because you see, that kind of thing you really see coming. And then it takes you by surprise, and then you're left, sometimes it could take you days or weeks to try to figure out, okay, why did I react that way? So now the next time a similar situation comes up, we're almost like afraid to get involved, afraid to touch that thing because we don't know how it's going to affect our lives. And that's a definite, definite limitation in our life. We have to get to know ourselves now, I'm not saying we need to get to know ourselves more than we need to get to know Jesus or get to know the Word. But what good is knowing the Word if you don't know you? If you don't know what your weaknesses are? If you don't know where you've tripped up in the past, if you're not willing to acknowledge that? Well, you're probably going to end up falling over and over again in that area because you're blind to it. And sometimes we purposely want to blind ourselves to things Okay, we're real good at picking it up in somebody else's life. You know what I'm talking about? You, know, you can recognize the job. Yeah, I know how they're going to respond, how they're going to react. 
because you have a track record with people, but we need to have a track record with ourselves so that we know when we're to put up our resistance and when we can kind of back down and, and relax a little bit uh, and what to work on, what not to work on so that we can live a life that's free of limitations. Amen. We are the greatest limitation, the, big, the biggest limitation in our lives to limiting God. It's coming from us. It's not coming from the enemy. It's coming from us. And it, we proved it out last week in Psalm 78. I'm going to go back there and start from there. Verse 40, how often they, now they is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. How often they provoked him, God, in the wilderness. What is he talking about? On that, that journey from the Red Sea to the Promised Land. And grieved him in the desert. Now, Paul talks a lot about grieving the Holy Spirit in the letters to the church. It is very possible to grieve God. It's very possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean he abandons us. He doesn't forsake us. He said he never would. But I don't know that any of us want to really grieve God, even though he's not going to leave us. It doesn't mean we could just use him like a punching bag and just, you know, whatever. And know, well, he's always going to be there, so I can act any way I want. No, that's, no it doesn't work that way. So, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Yes, again and again, verse 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Now, we talked a lot about that last week. I don't want to go back into that again. I want to move further. We did talk about last week the word limited is the Hebrew word tovah, which means to make a marker, to set a boundary, to set, and I think that, we spent a lot of time on that last week. So if you weren't here, please go listen to that. I know it's online uh, on our YouTube channel. They literally set a boundary. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe. We can set a boundary for him that says to him, you can go this far and no more. Now, if you've ever had a problem with addiction and recovery, you probably have experienced that because our deliverance can only come in degrees. That's why most people don't get delivered, bam, overnight. It's a, usually a progression. And why is that? It's not that God's not willing to, and it's not that God's not able to deliver us overnight or in the, in the snap of a finger. He's very much able to do that. But it's our limiting him by us in degrees becoming vulnerable and transparent. You getting this? Are you picking up on this? So to the degree that we are allowing him in is the degree by which he's able to deliver us, to change us. Amen? So last week we talked about limiting God. In these three areas, we doubt him, we distrust his intentions, and we focus on our own abilities. And we went into Judges chapter 6. You remember that? We talked about Gideon. I'm going to try to read through this really quick because I think we need to establish this as a foundation for anybody who's here tonight that was not here last week. So we're picking up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now, the book of Judges is an interesting book. The book of Judges is a book of cycles, not bicycles. Cycles. How many of you recognize cycles in your life? Just a few of us. The rest of us are in la-la land tonight. <laughs> if you're breathing, you probably operate in cycles. Okay? And that cycle is 
This, and you see this in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the Israelites were victorious. They're, they're independent. They're living, you know, they're good with God. Everything's going well. They're, they're protected. They're, their crops are growing. Their flocks are increasing. And they're on the top of that cycle. And as you continue to read the book of Judges, then you'll see that they start now entertaining things like, we want to be like the rest of the world, okay? And so they start entertaining outside influences that God warned them about not to entertain. Then they come down to the bottom of that cycle. Now they're in full-blown idolatry. They are worshiping gods that God told them not to worship. And then what ends up happening in that cycle, when they get down to the bottom of the cycle... Now they're desperate. They're crying out to God. I'll do anything. I'll never worship that idol again. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just like you used to do. You know, laying in bed at night, like, you know, you're blasted and you're going, God, if you get me through tonight, I'll I'll never do this again. Okay, anybody else make those kind of deals? Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So then, then they turn back to God. There's a season of repentance. And they then follow God, and they're doing good for a little while. The book of Judges is that over and over and over again. And one key phrase in the book of Judges is that they did everything they did, they did right in their own eyes. They did what they thought was right in their own eyes. We are living in that age right now in this nation and in our culture. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. The only problem is it blows up in their face because it's not right. But you have your truth, I have my truth, and it's a bunch of baloney, okay? And so the, our nation right now is in that, in that judgment cycle. Say what you want. We're in that. Hopefully, there's some little glimpse of hope that people are starting to turn back to God. And we're believing that, okay? Say, well, it's a very slight amount. It's always a remnant. It's never a majority, Okay, but a remnant is enough to turn a nation around. Just like a remnant was enough to get the nation in trouble. You realize that the majority of people in this country want to do the right thing. But they have no voice. So the voice of the minority, the remnant, is enough to turn the nation in the direction of getting judged. Well, then a remnant is able to turn around and bring blessing back. Amen? Amen? All right, so... Now the angel of the Lord came out, came, uh, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, which is an oak tree, which was wherever that is, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, which is Gideon's father, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. You remember how we described that last week? Only a crazy person threshes wheat in a winepress. Okay, so I I don't want to spend time on that. So we know what is what is this act here telling us that Gideon is not the bravest guy in all of Israel at that time, right? Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord, which is who? Jesus. So you weren't, you weren't sure about that one. So, so let's, let's spend 30 seconds on this. Look, Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, right? God the? God the? God the? Always was, always is. Yes? Okay. So Jesus has always been. Okay? His physical body came into manifestation in Bethlehem. But because he's eternal, he's able to step in and out of time. Because time only exists here. 
In eternity, it's always now. Explain that. I can't. We'll have to wait till we get there. We'll find out. We'll all show up on some corner someplace. And we'll go, okay, let's go visit Jesus and ask him. Okay, is that good? Is that good? In the meantime, we just have to accept it as fact. In eternity, it's always now. That's why like, Jesus rose from the dead like 30 seconds ago. In eternity. Okay, I'm doing a really bad job trying to define that. But what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is here, the pre, listen now, pre-incarnate Jesus is in the Old Testament. And he's described as, or identified as, the angel of the Lord. You notice that it's capitalized? Okay, the angel of the Lord, okay? Now, Jesus, in his pre-incarnate form, and I have a feeling if we read the book of Revelation and see the description of what he looks like then, it's probably a good idea that that's what he looked like when he stepped into what we call the Old Testament. Okay, now this isn't the only time that happened. He he's, pops in and out of time and space, okay? And that's why you'll see when people react the way they do when he showed up on the scene, just like the Apostle John, when he saw Jesus as he recorded the book of Revelation, he's looking at him and is like, this is not the Jesus that I knew that we would call in the Gospel of John, okay? He was seeing Jesus in his eternal form, in his glory, okay? And it's pretty scary, all right? So the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to who? Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you. You, you, you jumped the gun there. Uh, the Lord Adonai is with you, you mighty man of valor. Okay? Now, is he a mighty man of valor? He's hiding in a wine press. But thank God for his mercy. He never calls us what we are like. He calls us what he wants us to be. You got that? We'll talk about it a little bit. He always calls us where we're heading. Next verse. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, here comes the whining. Here comes all the excuses. Here comes all the contrary comments and statements. Instead of him rolling with like, okay, uh, obviously you're a supernatural being for the way you've appeared in front of me. You obviously know better than me. Um, I'm going to go what you say. No, he's going to put up an argument. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken. Now, this is, this is Gideon saying this. This is not true. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites, which is not true. Their actions opened up the door for the Midianites to attack them. Say, well, it's in the Bible. Yes, understand how to interpret the Bible. It's true that Gideon said this. It's not true about God. Do you understand the distinction there? Okay, just like one of the other famous quotes that people always bring up to you. Well, in Job it says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. No, Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's not true that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Because God says later on, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. And he doesn't play mind games. He doesn't wave something in front of you and then go, well, psych, you know, you didn't do what I said, so you're not getting it. You understand? Learn how to interpret the scriptures in the proper way and you'll stay out of false doctrine. You getting this? Again, it's true 
that Gideon said that, but Gideon is mistaken. It's Gideon's opinion, not fact. You got that? Okay. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. Might of what? Where is this might coming from? The fact that he called him a mighty man of valor, which is what? A mighty man of courage, a mighty man of, 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 of bravery. That's the word I was looking for. I was going to say braveness. Bravery. Okay? When Jesus speaks something to you, the strength to go and do that is on his words. He told the disciples, let's get in a boat, and we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to go halfway. He said we're going to the other side. When the storm hit, what did the disciples go? They went to Jesus and said, don't you care we're perishing? That's not true. They were not perishing. Why? Because he said we're going to the other side. So he's telling him. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save it. What's Jesus trying to do? Take the limitations off of Gideon that he placed upon himself. You realize this? How many times we do this? God tells us to do something. God tells us in the word to do something. God tells us that we're capable of doing something, and then we give him arguments. God appears to Moses, right? Jesus appears to Moses in the burning bush. You would think that'd be enough to say, this is an unusual circumstance here. And tells him, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what does Moses start doing? Same thing Gideon did. Well, I can't go. I, 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 I stutter. I'm not eloquent of speech. Guy, the guy who was the right hand of Pharaoh 40 years before. Now, all of a sudden, he's put all these limitations on himself. Gideon has the opportunity to go in this thy strength. But what does he start doing? He starts, where do most of our limitations come from? Right here. Right here. Okay. Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? The answer was yes. Next verse. So he, Gideon said, he's not done yet. He's still going to heap on some more. He's got to heap on some more limitations. So he said to him, so he, Gideon, said to him, Jesus, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. He's like, we're nobody. We're, no, we're less than nobody. We're the smallest clan in all of Israel. And out of the clan of, of Manasseh, my father's family is the smallest one. And the Lord said to him, do you see that? You, you notice that Jesus doesn't address each point. It's almost like Jesus going, ah, ah, ah. And he said to him, what? Say it with me nice and loud. Surely I will be with you. Now notice this. Surely I will be with you, which sounds like something that's going to happen in the future. What is Jesus waiting for? For Gideon to take the first step. You, you getting this? You don't get anything until you take the first step. Well, when all my ducks are in a row, honey, those ducks will die of old age. He speaks to us, and then he waits for us to take the first move. Why? Because we need to display what? Faith. Faith. 
And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. In other words, don't pay attention how big that army is. Don't pay attention how big that challenge is. When I tell you to go, you go. You're going to defeat them as if it was only one person that you're coming up against. Amen? Next verse. Is there a next verse? Okay, yeah, you're right. So, let's go through this again. He's limited, Gideon is limited by his own estimation of himself. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Yeah, yeah. An opportunity comes, well, what if? Well, what if? And what if it doesn't work out? And what if it goes wrong? And what if I don't have enough? And what if I can't afford it? And what if I'm not smart enough? And what, what, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And what if it works? And what if it's really God? And what if it turns out that you have talents that you didn't even know you had? What if it turns out that God, because you took the first step in faith, God goes, boom. What if? But you'll never find out if you stay in the land of what if. Hallelujah. His words created the tova. His words created a boundary, limiting God to be able to work through him. He was fearful. We know that because he's treading wheat in a wine press. He describes himself as coming, the sm- coming from the smallest tribe of Israel. Is it possible? This just dawned on me. Is it possible that the apostle Paul was going through the same thing? And that's why in Philippians chapter 3, he lists where he comes from. He lists what tribe. He lists that he's a Benjaminite. He lists that he's circumcised on the eighth day. Is it possible that he's trying to enforce upon himself speaking the words that would strengthen him to keep moving forward, but by the same time submitting himself to God? We do the same thing when we focus on what we don't have or who we are not yet. Yet. It's the young lady here that gave me a testimony over the weekend about a car. I know who you are. I don't see you here. Um, I don't remember if it was last week or if it was during the series that we did on finances that I talked about. I asked who needs a car, and a few people were honest and raised their hands. And I said, go start looking at them. Go start looking at cars. Go sit in the car. Go drive the car. Go do that. I don't remember the exact details. Maybe if if she's here next week. She ended up with two cars. I guess she could decide on the color. I don't know. She put into practice what we were talking about. Stirred up her faith. Got rid of the limitations. And ended up with two cars. I wish she was here. So the angel shows up. Jesus shows up and calls him what? A man of valor. A man of courage. And we know this. God always calls us the way he sees us. It's never our present reality. He always calls us according to our realized potential. God called Avram, father, changed it to Abraham, father of many nations. Abraham, the father of the Israeli people. But also father of the Arabic nations through Ishmael. How would you like to go to that Thanksgiving dinner? Jesus called Shimon, Peter, rock. Why? Shimon means a shaky reed, no backbone. Then irresponsible Simon becomes spokesman 
for the church on the day of Pentecost. He called him what he needed him to be. You've heard me tell this story in the past. When we lived in Lakewood before we went to Bible school back in early 90s, mid 90s, we lived across the street from a little Pentecostal lady, Sister Helen. For four years, she called me Pastor Joe. I'd go home and laugh because it was in that transition period. I was just hearing about this call of, of starting this church, going to Bible school, coming back to New Jersey, starting this church. So when it was time to leave our home to move to Tulsa, she came across the street. Tommy, you remember. You came out with us, didn't you? Or did you follow us? Yeah, you were with us. Yeah. She came out with this big thing of fried chicken and all kinds of stuff for the trip. And, and as I'm saying goodbye to her, you know, she said to me, I know you thought I was crazy when I called you pastor. She said, she goes like this, I called you who the Holy Ghost told me to call you. She had more faith than I did at that point. She said, I called you who the Holy Ghost told me to call you. And she used to tell me, when you see that light upstairs and that, her out, literally right across the street from us, when you see that light on, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What an awesome, what an awesome thing. I, I know what that's like. Because when she would say that, for the first couple of years, I would chuckle. And I would go home, and, and she, sometimes she'd say in front of my wife, and I would say to my wife, I guess this is a cultural thing where, I don't know. Because all I was was, not all I was, but I was only the youth leader in the church. It wasn't. But she called me pastor. And I'm telling you, she called me up and she'd go, can you, Pastor Joe, can you come across the street? I need you to come and pray. And I'm telling you, when you would step, that woman was, and she'd go, she said, I know how to live holy. I know how to live holy. And uh, as soon as I would, she would open that door and I would step across that threshold, the anointing would come on. And man, the gifts of the Spirit would be in operation like I, like I had not sensed before that time. It was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. It was the easiest thing in the world to just tap into the gifts of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment of Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit would start operating as soon as I stepped up. Why? Because she was a woman of prayer. And she was a woman that believed in living holy. She didn't entertain any nonsense in her house. She had other women that would live there from time to time, people that needed help. She wouldn't entertain any nonsense. It matters how we live. Yeah, I'll say it over here too. It, it matters how we live. It matters how we live. We, have, we put limitations on ourselves because we live sloppy. No, don't get me started. I wasn't expecting to get a whole lot of amens. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, listen to me with all my heart. I'm telling you this out of a heart of love. God's done putting up with this nonsense. Um, especially this coming year. God's done putting up with this nonsense. We better get our act together. We better get rid of the junk in our lives that is putting limitations on. We better get rid of the sloppiness. We better get rid of the worldliness in our lives. We better get rid of the sin that's going on. We better get rid of all this stuff because the storm is coming. 
Some of us are not going to survive that storm because we live sloppy. We entertain all kinds of stuff. Whatever the world does, that's what we want to do, and then we want to show up and come to church and then expect God, you know. He's not an enabler. Don't mix up his grace and his mercy with being an enabler. I'm telling you, the church needs to get equipped. And we can't get equipped by walking on the fence. Leaning this way in the world, leaning that way. Yeah. Yep, get ready. Because right after the first of the year, man, we're going we're gonna to really hone in on some things. I'm telling you, God's bringing us to a crossroads. The church cannot afford to live like the world and still expect to impact the world. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, impacting the world. Okay? I, I don't care what's legal. That used to be illegal. If it's, if it's making you crazy, you better stop doing it. Hallelujah. I'm glad I came to church tonight. You're smoking stuff just like the world is smoking. Well, they legalize it. Don't matter, legalize it. They legalize a lot of things that God says no to. We're supposed to be different. Well, I don't want my friends to feel uncomfortable. We're supposed to make people uncomfortable. I don't mean that in an arrogant sense. There's supposed to be a difference. How are you going to attract people if you're living just like them? What do I need to come to your church for? What do I need to believe like you? You're living worse than I am. <coughs> Hallelujah. Are you glad you came tonight? Yes. All right. So Gideon encounters the angel. The angel of the Lord Jesus allows him to walk through and just mouth off and vent all the excuses, all the doubts. And then he reveals himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom, the God who makes us complete in him. That shalom, completeness, whole, sufficient. And talking about Jesus in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this about him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, that's the Trinity, bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He is the head of all the rankings and all the hierarchy and all the bureaucracy in the realm of the Spirit. So, God's dealing with Gideon causes him to trust God and to step out in faith. And eventually, he does defeat the enemies in Israel in spite of Gideon's perceived limitations. And it's that kind of growth that releases us more and more from the limitations of natural life. The more you, the more you step out, the more you prepare yourself to step out in the future. The more, listen to me. The more you step out, the more it prepares you to step out in the future Amen. and release it. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to take you through some history here, 26-year history of this church, okay? We started the church September the 14th, 1997, okay? Sunday. In August, the month before, I looked at the first church building. Church didn't, exi- didn't even, we didn't even have our first service yet. Looked at a building. Wish I had bought it. I think it was $289,000. A church building with a parking lot and everything. Probably fit about 60, 70 cars. Still, property's still there. 
So my faith got to, yeah, maybe we can do this. And we start the church. And by December, we're already 100 people. That place only sat about 95 seats. But I was willing to go for it. Well, then maybe the next year or so, we look at another building. This one's 600,000. In fact, I'll tell you exactly where it is. Right down the street here, that uh, emergency, emergency, what are they, the first aid squad? Behind where the Boston Market used to be? Okay, now it became, they made it a senior center or something. So now my faith's up to 600,000. Okay? And every time I would get to the point and go, yeah, let's go for it, the deal would fall through. Because it wasn't about buying the property, it was about getting your faith up. Next building looked at, corner Airport Road and Oak Street. 900,000. Now we're getting close. I'm going, now I'm, I'm starting to sweat now. <laughs> okay, let's go for it. Somebody else steps in in front of us and buys it. That was the history of all these years, getting to that place. Next building, I think, was a million and a half or two million, something like that. Yeah. 1.15 on Airport Road, around the corner from the building that I talked about, right, right, on, right by the airport there. Okay. Every one of them were too small. By the time we negotiated, it was too small. But... The negotiation wasn't about the property. The negotiation was about, are you willing to trust me? I can get you to this. I can get you to this amount. And then you know the story. 2007, we ended up buying this building. First built, first building. Never bought a building before that. $3 million. How do you get from 289000 to $3 million? You do it one bite at a time. Are you listening to me? And I'm putting it in, in an illustration that you can understand. That's, that's going from glory, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. It's tr- what are you trusting him for? Because maybe you started out and you could trust him for a hangnail to get healed. Next time, maybe it's appendicitis. But now because he healed your hangnail, now you can trust him for the appendicitis. You see what I'm talking about? Now the appendicitis are like... God healed me of that. Now the devil throws something else at you. See, it's all in the reaction. Do you react to situations that hit you, or do you respond? I'm going to say it again. Do you react? Because you see, a reaction you very rarely have any control over. You just... But response is, okay, you gave me the information. Now here's what I have to say. Are you, are you listening? Yes. What do you, see, every stage we have the opportunity to get rid of a limitation. Are you listening? Yes. Is this making sense? Yes. But more so, can you see how you can apply this in your life? Yes. Maybe your step of faith was, was going for a job that in the natural, you probably don't have the qualifications 100%. But you're willing to try. At 18 years old, I walked into a place, uh, uh, a delicatessen catering business that had a great reputation up in North Jersey. And I walked into the place, and I said to him, uh, I want to come to work for you. So I'm not hiring. I said, I'm not asking for a paycheck. I just want to come to work for you. 
I said, I heard your reputation. I heard what you're like. I'm not asking you to pay me. I'm asking you to take the time to teach me. Because you start Monday morning. <laughs> Full paycheck. You see what I'm saying? You've got to be willing to step out there. You've got to be willing to, but you also got to be willing to start here. You've got to be willing to start here. There's something about our culture in this season right now. Everybody wants to start here. You listening to me? There's a reason why we have protocol in this church. Okay? Somebody comes in off the street, they start coming to church for two weeks. I want to be on the prayer team. Uh, it doesn't work that way. We don't know you. You don't know us. How about starting someplace? How about coming to volunteer to, to help us clean the building? How about, how about ushering? How about helping out the food pantry? How about, well, I can't even say that one because we require a background check on that one. <laughs> but you understand my point? Yes. But you don't understand. I had this position at that place and this position at that, and this happens all the time. We had a guy come in the first day. This, oh, my gosh, this was many years ago. We were having a picnic in Lakewood at one of the parks, and a guy came, was visiting. Uh, I want to be part of your church. I want to be on the worship team. Worship team. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know if you showed up tomorrow that I'd be able to recognize you. Just met you. Yeah, but you don't understand at my other church. Yeah, but you're not at your other church. You're here. Now, I don't know if that ruffles you a little bit. If it does, maybe you should take a check up here a little bit. Because, you see, we're commanded to love, but trust is earned. I'm going to say it again because maybe some of you will get, it, get yourselves out of trouble the next time. We're commanded to love, but trust is earned. Not commanded to trust. We're commanded to love. And we need to get to know people. You don't just, you walk through the doors, I want to be on the front row. Well, for what reason? Why do you want to be on the front row? Well, I want to be able to pray for people. But we need to know that you are going to pray accurately for people. You see what I'm saying? So, so there's a limitation right there. Unrealistic expectations are limitations. You see, because you set yourself up to get offended. Now, I, I'm saying this to, to help everybody. Now, God, we need help. We need all the volunteers we can get. Okay? But we, we also have to be extreme. We need to be extremely, extremely aware of anybody we put in any position of responsibility and leadership. Why? Because sheep get hurt. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever been in a position where sheep get hurt? You ever, you ever been in a situation where sheep get hurt? Yeah. It's not good. Because some sheep take decades to get over that. Now, we're not God. We don't know everything. And that's why it takes time. For the first year or two, we never had a guest minister in this church. Why? Because the people needed to get to know me. 
And people would come to me, you need to have this person, you need to have that person, you need to have this person. Yeah, well, maybe in a couple of years from now. Why? It's not a talent show. We're not running a talent show. We don't have one of those big hooks over here. To, you, know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So I had to resist that pressure from people not to bring guest speakers in for the first two years. Why? Because the sheep of this flock needed to get to know the pastor of this flock. Now, I'm just like everybody else. I want everybody to like me. But that was a limitation in my life. And I had to recognize that. I I recognize now, not everybody's going to like me. And although I love that, I've also learned how to live without it. Because I like my job. Saul, King Saul, got in big trouble because he allowed people to pressure him. He allowed the opinions of people. He allowed the Poles. I'm not talking about people from Poland. (laughs) He allowed the ratings to determine what his policies were going to be. That's why Washington is in such big trouble. Instead of listening to what God said, be careful of that. Because if, if you, now I know this is very hard for any of us to admit, but if you have any inkling of people pleasing in you, God's going to keep you on hold for a little bit. For your sake, so you don't get, you don't get yourself hurt. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever gotten in trouble because you, you want everybody to like you, people pleaser, and then you let people, this one's going to be tough. How many of you let people steamroll all over you? That's not God. That's usually a consequence of our decisions. And then, we, and then we got the nerve to say, oh, how did you let this happen to me? And God's going, I was trying to tell you not to get involved with these people. You meet somebody on the inside, it's like, eh, 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 eh. They're so nice. They're a serial killer. Is this too real tonight? We're talking about limitations. And one of the limitations that kills us is that we're so busy and so distracted that we're not hearing from the Holy Spirit and then we find ourselves going from cycle to cycle to cycle to cycle. It's his mercy that sometimes he puts us in time out. It's his mercy. He goes, get in that corner. I'll tell you when to get out. Have you ever gone through seasons of of isolation? Just a couple of people. Have you ever gone through seasons of isolation? That's God protecting you. He's given you a time out. He wants to build some things in you so that you can throw off the previous limitations without destroying your life and jeopardizing your future. He knows what he's doing. And we buck up against it. We fight it. We go from relationship to relationship without any healing time in between. And then we wonder why. We always attract the same people over and over again. (laughs) 
Man, I must have hit on some raw nerves tonight. <laughs> Give yourself time to heal. Give yourself time to learn your lesson. If we go through life, we're going to get beat up, but at least if we learn something, we're going to come, at least come out with a certificate. Don't limit God by acting like you know better. He's seen it. He knows what they do behind the scenes. He knows what they do in, in the dark. Stop rushing into relationships. Stop it. Even here in church. Now we, we, look, we have a reputation for being a very welcoming church. And I thank God for that. I hear testimonies all the time. My God, I felt so welcome. So many people come to say hello to me and stuff like this. That's wonderful. That's good. And do that. Be loving. But also keep one eye open. Now, I'm not saying to be paranoid. But I come back to that same thing. We're commanded to love. We're not commanded to trust. Trust is earned. You know, be, have discretion. Be discerning. Ask God, is this an Isaac or is this an Ishmael? Do you know that? Do you know that Isaac was the son of promise? Ishmael was the result of Sarah's idea. Hey, listen, there's nothing happening between me and you. Why don't you, you know, take my, my, my maid here, my maidservant, and maybe, you know, you'll have a child through her. He did. That was a problem. He did. And Israel's paying for it to this day. Because Ishmael, well, his descendants are the Arab nations. So this whole thing is a family fight. This is a family squabble over an inheritance. It happens all the time. The land belongs to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac, not through Ishmael. Ishmael got the oil. Isaac got the desert, but he made the desert bloom. You getting this? I'm not going there. Abram. Talk about a man with limitations. God promised his son when he was already 75 years old and still had to take another 25 years. Before Isaac was born, during that 25 years, though, Ishmael showed up on the scene. And from day one, there was competition between Ishmael and Isaac. And it came to pass that Isaac was born, as God said. Once Abraham learned not to look at the physical limitations of his age, choosing rather to look at the limitlessness, I said it right, of God instead of looking at the natural circumstances. The man was 100 years old. Who's kidding who? <laughs> Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Real important verse of scripture, and I guess it is going to be part three next Wednesday. You okay with that? Yes. Is, is this helping anybody? Yes. All right, let's, let's talk about Abraham, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish for tonight, and we'll pick up next week. 
Now, it's talking about Abraham. Say Abraham. Not Abram. He's now Abraham. Abram is father, Abba. But Abraham, now you notice that, that last part of Abram's name, Ham? Ham, Abraham. Before it was only Abram. Abraham. Ham translates into nations. Okay, you remember when they came off the ark? Noah's sons? What was one of their names? Ham. So you went from the father of a family to father of nations. And not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, say that with me, please, not being weak in faith. If it tells us here that Abraham was not being weak in faith, then it tells us that way can be weak in faith if we're not careful, if we're not keeping our faith built up, if we allow discouragement to come in. And discouragement could definitely be a limitation in many of our lives, especially if you tried something and it didn't work out. Now you're afraid to try it again because you're now thinking, well, it failed the first time. What if it fails again? I don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I could deal with this. So we go from a position of faith to a position of weakness, but we're still Christians. And we still have the capacity to believe. And we're still, we're still in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in relationship with the Father. We're in covenant with him. But we can't go through seasons when we're weak in faith. But Abraham, it says here that he was not being weak in faith. How did he stay in a place of strength? For he did not consider his own body. In other words, physically, he was not physically not capable of producing a child. Because if he was physically capable, this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He had to look beyond the fact that, look, my body's not working the way it used to. Say, what you'll, well, you know, Ishmael showed up. Yeah, that was 15 years before. How many know with that season of life, a lot can change in 15 years? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He did not consider his own body, look at this, already dead. I'm not going there. Since he was about 100 years old, but not, forget about his body, he's got to deal with his wife's body too. Because, you know, it takes two. I don't know if you realize that. And the deadness, he not only considered his own body already dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Man, you talk about having the odds stacked against you. Next verse. He did not what? He wasn't a Shimon. He wasn't a reed. He has established his faith. He did not waver at the what? promise of God through unbelief. So when we refuse to believe, we waver at the promises of God. Again, come back to the same thing. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. So if you're one of those people that think, well, they make too much about faith. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. Did you know that it's all about faith? And without faith... Come on, come on. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he did not waver. In other words, when God said, you're going to have a son, he went, okay, I'll go build a cradle. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Because it takes faith to establish yourself and it takes faith to continue in that. That's why he did not, he didn't grow weak in faith. He grew strong in faith. He did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, doing what? How do we give glory to God? Walking in faith. How do we give glory to God? Walking in faith. How do we give glory to God? By us standing and understanding. Look, I know in the natural things don't look good, but God said, are you getting this? Look, our faith is supposed to be supernatural. What is wrong with us? We came into this kingdom of God supernaturally. We're born again supernaturally. And then once we get in the kingdom, we go, oh, well, you know, the, the circumstances. How you doing? Well, under the circumstance, under the circumstances. You just, you just, you just pulled the Gideon. How you doing? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing pretty good. How good could you be doing if you're under the circumstances? You see what we do? We don't even realize what we're saying sometimes. He did not waver. Once Gideon got it, we'll see this next week. Once Gideon got it, he did not waver. Because he, with just a few people, in comparison to the army that he was facing, tranced them. They talked about him for decades. But the power of God couldn't show up until... Gideon showed up. What do you believe in God for? What adversity are you facing right now? Look, I'm not up here as a cheerleader, okay? But I'm telling you this. Stir yourself up. I just feel so down right now. Stir yourself up. We can help you. We can cheer you on. We can hold your arms up. But ultimately, you got to talk to you. David said to himself, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Believe in God. Stirring himself. What is he doing? Stirring himself up. Let me tell you something. When I go, personally, when I go for a long period of time, not, not stirring myself up, I feel it. I feel it. I start, I start in my mind thinking, man, I just got to keep pushing. I just got to keep pushing. I got to go, why? man, I just, and then all of a sudden I go, Stupid. You have the power right here. Life and death are in the power of tongue, and we're going to eat the fruit of whichever we produce. Stir, you stir yourself up. I stir myself up. Come on, Joe. Get up. Come on, Joe. Get in the word. Now get in the word. Come on, Joe. Start talking. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because he who knew no sin became sin that I might become his righteousness. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are you listening to me? 
I believe God, therefore there's nothing impossible for me because God said there's nothing impossible to him who believes. Amen? Amen. You are my life. You are my joy. I have strength because you're my joy. What do we do? I'm talking to myself. Yeah, you might think I'm crazy. But you know what? We live in an age right now we can get away with it. See, years ago, (laughs) years ago, if you were in the car talking to yourself, now they just go, oh, they must be on the... get away with it now. It's easy now. Are you getting this? Listen, we're born with limitations. We grow up with limitations. The enemy's got limitations. He's got a whole Christmas list of of limitations he wants to put on us. That battle is going to be ongoing. As we go from one season of life to the next season of life, a whole new set of limitations show up. But the power of his word is eternal. It never grows old. It doesn't have an expiration. And the greatest thing about it is he promised us it never returns void. It always accomplishes what we send it forth to do. You listening to me? I don't know what you're standing against. Uh, you have a specific limitation. We all have different ones specific to our life, specific to our call. Because the enemy comes to use and to exploit those limitations so that we go so far and that's it. When my son Michael was born, at this point, I don't remember, but he was less than six months old. He had a massive attack and the doctors tried to get us to receive it as He has asthma, and he'll have asthma the rest of his life. We said, no, no. He almost died on us, but thank God. Now, I wasn't saved very long. It was a matter of just a few months, but I knew enough to get this child to my pastor at that time, okay? And I don't have time to go into it, but that man spoke the word of God over him. They laid hands on him. The child, I saw the color come back. This is the second time the devil tried to kill my son, because he tried to kill him at birth, too, with the cord wrapped around his neck. And back then, I got a glimpse that I went, something's going on here. Even as young as I was in the Lord, I understood this. The devil only pays attention to the areas that he has to. And just like Pharaoh was used of the devil to try to kill Moses so he wouldn't have to deal with him as an adult. Herod tried to kill Jesus so he wouldn't have to deal with him as an adult. And I got this thing in me, my son's going to be used for something. Never in a million years did we understand that God was going to give him a voice to sing and to lead people in worship. And many of you understand because you remember when when our son Michael was a worship leader here. But the enemy tried to snuff him out and put limitations on him. Limitations on him. In the name of Jesus, I speak over every person that's in this room and every person that will listen to this. I break the power of those limitations off of all of our lives. In the name of Jesus. But now watch this now. You've got to reinforce it. You've got to enforce it. You, when limitations come up, fear comes up, self, uh, just like uh, feeling intimidated, uh, um, just unsure of yourself, or if you, if you have lived with a poor self-image all these years, I break that thing in Jesus' name. But you have to reinforce it. When you sense, oh my gosh, there's a limitation here. I'm, I'm, re, I'm, I'm feeling intimidated. I'm feeling scared to take the step. Speak to it. Yeah. Don't let it be established in your life. Speak to it. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. If not, I'll see you next Wednesday.